Stroud watching for the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown, Smith and Jigba. Are you kidding me? Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. Coaching changes at crucial positions, why an off-the-radar hire may be the most impactful of the offseason, and who's feeling the heat in 2023, plus Kirby Smart and Jim Harbaugh have exponentially increased their stock prices over the last two years. Where will they fall in our top coaches in college football list? This is the Saturday Cadence Podcast presented by the Silver Bulletin. Blake Biscardi and Dave Worth, I'm with you. Dave, let's start today's show with some notable coaching moves, namely both coordinators at Alabama. Yeah, interesting moves there and not necessarily a surprise. Um, this seemed like a classic, you know, Nick Saban almost parting of the ways. Um, Pete Golding now headed to Ole Miss, joining another former Saban assistant in Lane Kiffin. So he'll be staying in the SEC there. That also seems to be a theme. A lot of the guys from Alabama, especially the defensive guys, stay in the SEC. Look at Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, Kirby Smart, of course, at Alabama, and now Pete Golding heading to Ole Miss. And then, of course, on offense, Bill O'Brien, when that Patriots job opened up, everyone in the world thought that, you know, that seemed like a likely transition for both parties and, you know, held true. So Bill O'Brien back to the NFL, working with his former boss and a good friend of Nick Saban and Bill Belichick and Pete Golding now joining another former assistant in Lane Kevin at Old Miss. Yeah, so seeing these moves, you start to wonder who's going to replace those two guys there at Alabama. And Ryan Grubb was a big name that we thought was going to end up there. He's Washington's offensive coordinator, led the Huskies to a phenomenal offensive showing last year with Michael Penix Jr. And, you know, we're writing the show notes and he was a top name. And then all of a sudden now he's elected to stay at Washington, which I think is huge for the program, Michael Penix and the Pac-12, that Washington could maybe be a dark horse playoff contender now. But it's just begging the question of who do you think Nick Saban's going to get? There's that Cliff Kingsbury rumor. I don't know how much likelihood you see in that, but yeah, really curious to see what direction Nick Saban goes uh, here with this hire now that Ryan Grubb is off the board. Yeah, it is interesting, and and you're surprised that you know a guy would turn down the opportunity to work at Alabama and for Nick Saban, especially with the track record that he has of you know propelling those assistants into head coaching jobs. But you know, Washington, a dark horse Pac-12 contender, like you said, Michael Penix coming back. They've got a good foundation there with Kalen DeBoer and. You know, if he thinks he can shine, obviously there's an opportunity there to become a head coach anyway, regardless of how good, you know, the job may or may not be Alabama versus Washington, you know, make of it what you will. But uh, certainly an interesting move for him to stay. And and I'm not necessarily buying those Cliff Kingsbury rumors. I do think Nick Saban will end up with some sort of splash hire uh, on offense, regardless of who it is and, and probably on defense, too. I know Todd Grantham is a name to watch there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Nick Saban does and, you know, whoever comes in, I'll have to deal with a new quarterback, a lot of skilled players leaving as well. Some offensive linemen going to the draft transferring and whatnot. So, um, definitely a lot of turnover at Alabama this off season. And, uh, it'll be interesting. You know, the one constant as always is Nick Saban and, um, that that's worked out pretty well in the past. So as long as he's there, you know, Alabama fans, I'm sure they're not really sweating right now, but there's no real reason to, so can't really blame them. Yeah, we'll talk about the turnover at Alabama here in a couple of minutes in the next segment. But I want to stick in the SEC 
here and this Todd Munkin situation here. He's flirting with the NFL. How big of a loss would it be if Munkin ends up in the NFL for Georgia? Well, I think it's a significant loss. You know, he's interviewing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now, and that's a another organization that's that's in flux right now. Obviously, they don't know who their quarterback is going to be next year, and a lot of players seemingly on their way out there as well. But, um, you know, he does have experience in the NFL. He was the offensive coordinator with the Buccaneers in 2018. He was with them for a couple of years before that as well. Um, and, you know, he's a guy who has drawn interest in recent years and, you know, after a year in Cleveland, went back to Georgia. Uh, he's won two national championships there now in three years, kind of revitalized and brought Stetson Bennett from walk-on to two-time champion and has done a lot of great things with that offense. So certainly interesting to watch. And, and Kirby Smart as a defensive coach, you know, kind of has to get that one right in terms of his offensive coordinator. And he got this last one right with Munkin. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this one progresses and, you know, if he decides to go back to the NFL or not. Obviously, you know, the NFL is not for everybody and college isn't for everybody. They're two very different games. And it's very rare to see someone have success at both levels. We've seen it more recently. You look at a guy like Brian Dable. Um, and then we've seen some epic failures recently, like Matt Rule and, and Cliff Kingsbury on some levels. So it'll be interesting to see what, you know, Ty Munkin decides to do. And, and it could have a big impact on a Georgia team next year that will also be breaking in a new quarterback. Oh, for sure. And when you're a team like Georgia with a defensive head coach, like you said with Kirby Smart, that's a hire you have to get right. And Nick Saban's kind of in the same situation as a more defensive-minded head coach. And we saw him bring on Bill O'Brien. And there was a lot of heat for bringing in Bill O'Brien. Yes, he's a big name. But Alabama fans weren't always pleased with their offense, with the offense he was running. So, you know, hit or miss in a couple of big games there, maybe some flat play calling. That's not something Georgia can afford because odds are they're not going to have a generationally good defense again. It's always going to be good, solid, and fundamental. But, yeah, again, Georgia does need to get the higher right, but they don't have to worry about that right now because as of this show on Tuesday, January 31st, Todd Munkin is still the offensive coordinator at Georgia. But I want to look at another hire now, and I think to me this might be the most impactful hire of the offseason so far. And that's Ohio State bringing on James Laurinaitis, former All-American linebacker, as a graduate assistant for the linebackers. That's going to be enormous for that unit. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, Ohio State's linebackers were pretty good last year. Jim Knowles runs that unit himself. Um, that's the one position where Ohio State does not have a dedicated position coach. They have one for safeties. They have one for corners. They have a defensive line coach, obviously, and Larry Johnson. And then on offense, pretty much everything is covered, um, except linebackers. And, you know, it's interesting that Ohio State, of course, brings back one of their own. They did it with Brian Hartline. Uh, they've done it a few times with various graduate assistants over the years. Anthony Schluggle is a name that comes to mind. Um, and now they're doing it again here with James Laurinaitis. And and this one's a little different, obviously, because Laurinaitis had that year at Notre Dame last year working with Marcus Freeman. Now he comes back to Ohio State as a graduate assistant. You know, I, I would temper the expectations of Ohio State fans. This isn't going to be something where he comes in overnight and magically Ohio State wins the national championship. But I will say that it's good to have him in the building. It's good to get him experience and and perhaps they'll work their way up, uh, you know, like Brian Hartline did to becoming a position coach and now Hartline, of course, a coordinator. Um, but more importantly, I think, and, and I'm sure most Ohio State fans agree, is that this is a guy like Hartline who understands the Big Ten, who understands the rivalry with Michigan, has won that game before, has played in big games before, and, and he just gets the culture at Ohio State, the university as a whole, and the state of Ohio. So 
you know, he might not be out on the recruiting trail or whatnot, but certainly going to have a loud voice in that building. And I think that is the most important thing right now. Yeah. So I want to pull on what you just said, because I think you hit the nail on the head there. And one of our writers, Charlie, put out an article comparing James Laurinaitis coming on to a potential Brian Hartline, that same level of impact. And now immediately, like you said, he's not going to have this whole grandiose impact on the entire defense where suddenly it's a top two defense. But this is a long game higher there. So he's the graduate assistant for the linebackers right now. And hopefully you groom him into a then position coach, get him out onto the recruiting trail and hope he just moves up in the ranks that way. Like you said, that's Jim Knowles unit as well. But Lauren Ice is a former Buckeye. He understands everything about the program. He's a tremendous college football player. He played in big games his entire career from being a freshman all the way up until he graduated and went to the NFL there. So I really do think that this is going to be a great hire that's going to pay dividends for years to come for Ohio State, as long as that grooming process goes according to plan there. And he elevates kind of like Brian Hartline, maybe not as quickly, but that's that same blueprint is what I think they want Brian Hartline or uh, James Lornetis rather to follow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they've done it once. There's no reason why they can't do it twice. And I know that we'll talk a little bit in our next segment about you know, who's under more pressure this year, Ohio State, Alabama are going to mention some teams there. Um, and I think this is something I'll mention in a little bit, but I'll, I'll just say it quickly now. You know, this is something that Ryan Day had to do. He had to bring in a guy who is beloved by the fans, who is beloved by the program, who understands the rivalry with Michigan and understands the conference. So, you know, big move by Ryan Day for sure and, and big for the Ohio State program, even if, you know, you might not see it hands-on immediately. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was born in the late 1990s, so growing up, the jerseys you wanted were Troy Smith and James Laurinaitis. I've got them both in yep. my closet still. They don't fit, but those were the two you wanted. Those They are legends in the program. Now, to have one be able to come back like James Laurinaitis, it's an extremely exciting day for Buckeye Nation. But let's transition into that 2023 pressure segment here. So who's under more offhand? We've mentioned Ohio State and Alabama. Let's stick with them. Nick Saban or Ryan Day, who has more pressure on them next year? Well, it's got to be Ryan Day. You know, you say Nick Saban, you know, this and that and the other. He's still the, the probably the best coach in college football history, certainly one of them. Um, and I know it was a down year for them. They lost two games by, what, one point each or whatever it was, pretty close to that. Last, last play of the game there. Yeah, last play of the game. Um, but the year before that, they went to the national championship game. The year before that, they won the national championship game. So I think, you know, Alabama fans can relax here. I don't think there's really any pressure for Nick Saban. I'm confident that he'll roll out a good team once again in 2023. And, you know, the past, what, seven out of the past eight years, they've finished in the top two, I guess, before this season. Um, so that's that's pretty impressive. And, you know, for, for Nick Saban, it just seems like a national championship is something that happens pretty much every other year. Sometimes he takes two years off. Uh so, you know, this is the year for Alabama. They're, in theory, due for a national championship again. Um, and I think there's a lot more pressure on Ohio State. You know, Ohio State hasn't beaten Michigan in two years. Yeah, they made it to the playoff last year and probably should have beat Georgia, but they didn't. Lost another big game. Um, in 2021, they lost to Oregon. They, they just haven't had a good record in big games recently. And, you know, that's something that Ryan Day needs to correct. And, and I will say this about Ryan Day. And he did it after 2021, and, he, and he's done it again after 2022, and that is that he's not afraid to make changes. You know, he's gone out this season, this offseason, and and embraced the transfer portal more than he had in the past. They landed uh, Davis and Igbenosun today from Ole Miss, cornerback. That goes along with uh, Jihad Carter, who they got from Syracuse earlier in the offseason. 
also shored up their special teams a little bit, getting a, a long snapper and getting Victor Cutler from Louisiana Monroe to play center potentially. Um, and then a couple other smaller additions, backup quarterback Tristan Jebbia as well, coming in from Oregon State. Um, so, you know, Ryan Day has made those changes, bringing in Laurenitis, like we said, another culture boost there, uh, retaining, you know, bringing back some players that a lot of people didn't think would come back. Um, and even making it difficult for CJ Stroud to make his decision just shows you that, you know, these guys have confidence in the state of the program right now. So now for Ryan Day, it's just about winning those games. The groundwork is there. Everything's in place. It's going to depend a lot about how this new quarterback, whether it's Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, uh, performs this year. But, um, you know, it, it's very important for Ryan Day. He's got to, at, at the very minimum, beat Michigan, get back to the Big Ten championship game, and then take it from there. Yeah, so two things on this. Number one, it's really hard to put the name Nick Saban and the word pressure together in the same sense mm -hmm. because he is the greatest college football coach of all time there. However, this would take probably his best, if not his top three coaching jobs of his career to win a national championship next season, having to replace both quarterbacks or both coordinators and starting quarterback Bryce Young, who won a Heisman Trophy. So Nick Saban does have his work cut out for him next year. And then in Ohio State's case with Ryan Day, I think the biggest difference between Ohio State and Alabama in the last couple of years, because they've each made the college football playoff multiple times. They played each other national championship in 2020. Ohio State had impacts from COVID in that game. They got beat by a generationally good Alabama team. So it's not an excuse there because that team was just so good. And 2019, like you said, Alabama won that night or uh, <clears throat> played well again that season. But Ohio State was a bad call away from beating Clemson and playing for the national championship against LSU. So there's not much of a difference, but you highlighted the point of the big games. Ohio State has not beaten their rival Michigan in two years, whereas though Alabama hasn't won the national championship, they did beat Georgia last year in the SEC championship game, and they also took care of Auburn both years. So I think that's one of the big differences there. Ryan Day is a much younger coach. He's earlier on in his career. He's ironing out the kinks and what he wants to do. He said he might relieve play calling duties. He's made the changes on defense with the coordinators. So he's he's getting it right. But next year, Ohio State has six true road games for the first time since 1895. Not a lot of teams have to deal with that. It's tough to go on the road in the Big Ten, in addition to going on the road against Notre Dame in late September. So there's a lot working against Ryan Day and Ohio State next year. But they have the talent and the roster and the coaches in place to mitigate that and to get back to the college football playoff and win the national championship. But again, a lot of that is predicated on the quarterback play, like you mentioned. Yeah. And I think, you know, we'll see what happens after the the spring portal opens back up. And, you know, I still, I don't think they're done in the portal. I think they're still going to look, especially on the offensive line to try and for add sure. a piece or two. Um, and I think that'll go a long way, but yeah, this is a big year for them. Eight road games or six road games, excuse me. It's not easy. Uh, they go to Notre Dame, like you said, going to Michigan this year, you know, it, it, especially since you haven't won that game in two years it's even harder now having to go up there and try and win that game they get Penn State at home but you know it's just going to be a really difficult stretch for Ohio State this year and uh, the Big Ten is getting stronger and and you know you see what Wisconsin's done with Luke Fickle and, and all their additions and you got USC and UCLA coming in in a couple of years and you know the Big Ten is here to stay and you know Ohio State's a big part of that and, and they need to just really Almost this year, they, they just kind of need to take a different approach and, and fight and show that they are Ohio State. They still rule the Big Ten. Um, and we'll see if that holds true. You know, otherwise, it could look a little bit different heading into 2024. 
they're going to have big opportunities for sure all across the schedule next year to show that. And number one being that game against Notre Dame where they get to go on the road. Now, if Kamakor does win the starting job, one advantage is that he has started a game before. He's also been in the program for multiple years. He's had the in-game experience. He knows the offense. That, and he'll have a ton of weapons all around him. Now, his offensive line will be the biggest question. That is something Ohio State needs to shore up. Like you said, most likely not done on the portal yet, but that remains to be seen. So if they can get that right, he's going to have all the weapons and the infrastructure around him to play well. He just has to manage the game, not turn the ball over, make good decisions, and distribute that ball to Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming, Emeka Ibuka, maybe Xavier Johnson. And then he's going to have a loaded running back room. We'll see how that irons out as well. Could have up to five guys who are capable of starting in that room. Uh, people forget about guys like Evan Pryor. You know, he's going to be healthy next year. So really interesting on the Ohio State offense with the weapons in that arsenal. So I'm curious, but if you look at Ohio State and Alabama's biggest opponents right now in Georgia and Michigan, they both have really favorable schedules going into next year. Georgia's schedule may be the easiest of those top teams. And then Michigan rather just has to beat Penn State, Michigan State, and Ohio State. And Michigan State, I know it's a rivalry game there, but we'll see what Mel Tucker does with them last year. They've been up and down. But Penn State's going to be really good. But Michigan has to win one game at home, one game on the road, and they're back in the playoff. Yeah, and that's just how it's been for Michigan the last couple of years. Everyone knocked their their out-of-conference schedule this past season. Their toughest opponent was UConn. Um, and they really haven't taken the approach that some of these other Big Ten teams have taken. And, and hey, it's worked out for them, you know. And um, I remember these these conversations were had a lot after Ohio State lost to Oregon in 2021. And it's like, why play these guys? You know, right. if you're going to – if there's – now with a 12-team playoff, you'll have a little bit more breathing room. But, you know, when, when there is a 14-team playoff and you don't have that breathing room, and we saw it, you know, if Ohio State plays – UConn, we'll say, last year in 2021, instead of Oregon, they probably make the playoff. You're right. Um, so, you know, it, you can't really knock Michigan for doing what they're doing, but at the same time, you, you would like to see them play a harder schedule. Um, you know, it's just good for the game. And I think that once these this 12-team playoff starts, you'll see teams schedule a little bit more uh, marquee out-of-conference games. Absolutely agree. And if you look at Alabama and the way Nick Saban has orchestrated that schedule – Alabama, when they play a big non-conference game, it's at a neutral site. They mm -hmm. don't go on the road. It's at a neutral site. I know Ohio State had Oregon at home, but it's at a neutral site. And then they have a bye week before LSU, and they have the FCS opponent before Auburn. So before their biggest games, they're rested, and they are they get healthy. They have that quote-unquote bye week right before them, So, and it works to their advantage every year. And then they – they have their best product on the field for those bigger games. And Michigan's taken that similar approach with, all right, why play these guys? Why go play Notre Dame? Why go play USC? Why go play Texas when you can play a lesser opponent and you just have that extra win in there. So then if you slip up in the big 10, you have room to get in. I know it hasn't worked out for Michigan to get into the playoff having lost a game, but it just gives you that breathing room. Like you said. Yeah, it does. And you know, you really, like I said, you just can't blame them. Um, Michigan is an interesting team in that, you know, they've really ran through the Big Ten here these last couple of years, but uh, haven't really shown up in the playoffs whatsoever. Um, and, you know, this is a big year for Jim Harbaugh as well. You know, he flirted again with the NFL this offseason. He's got a lot of talent coming back, so a lot of storylines there, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about uh, Jim Harbaugh and, and the Wolverines as we get closer to the season. But, yeah, really interesting all around, and, uh, you know, these these games are – they're not for the week because 
you know, it's early in the season. Usually, you know, you get your best product on the field. Ohio State and Oregon was a great example of that. High scoring, a lot of yards, a lot of offense. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out again this year with Ohio State going into Notre Dame a little bit later in the season than people would probably expect, but should be interesting nonetheless. Yeah, it's a great point you bring up about Jim Harbaugh and Michigan not showing up really in the playoff in either year that they've been in it. So we've seen Kirby Smart now win back-to-back national championships, Jim Harbaugh back-to-back Big Ten championships and college football playoff appearances, haven't gotten the win yet. They Their stock just continues to climb. So where would you rank them among the top coaches in college football? Let's make a list of six here. I'm jotting these guys down. This is not in a particular order, although it may just be one through seven. So Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Dabo Sweeney, Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, Brian Kelly, and Lincoln Riley. Offhand, you think that those are among the best coaches. How would you order them? Let's start with just one and two. Who's the best and who's right behind Nick Saban? Yeah, Nick Saban's the best, and Kirby Smart's probably second best right now. I think that's the only way. You can rank the top one and two right now. Kirby's won the last two championships. Mm-hmm. Saban's won almost too many for his fingers to hold all the rings. Um, so I would say that you have to put those guys one and two. And then, you know, going down the line, I, I think Ryan Day certainly has earned a spot in that top seven. Um, I would say that that Jim Parbaugh, as of right now, probably is in that top seven as well. You probably couldn't have said that, you know, three or four years ago, but I would say now, absolutely. And the opposite is true with Dabo. I think he's in there two or three years ago without a question, but now, you know, I, I'm not so sure he's a top seven coach in college football. He's finally doing what Ryan Day did last year, changing up the coordinators and the style of how he does things, you know, bringing in Gary Riley from uh, TCU. Um, and, and speaking of TCU, maybe you throw Sonny Dykes in there. I know it was one year, but, you know, what a job he did coming in with a first year program and taking him all the way to the national championship game uh, was pretty impressive. And then you look at a guy like Lincoln Riley, kind of on the fence there. He's another guy who just can't seem to win the big game. Uh, whereas, you know, you look at his counterpart, maybe a guy like Kyle Whittingham, who always does seem to to show up in the big games and, and wins most of them. So, um, you know, I'm not so sure that it, it's not easy to differentiate between the seven best coaches and the seven best jobs, because I think they're kind of simultaneous. Uh, and I think it is hard. I think there are a lot of really good coaches out there, like Kyle Whittingham, for example, like a guy like James Franklin, who won, you know, whatever it was, seven or eight games, three years in a row at a place like Vanderbilt is pretty impressive. And to continue and compete in the Big Ten with what he's done has, has been pretty impressive um, competing with Ohio State and Michigan. So, yeah, it's a hard question to answer. I would say the only, you know, four guys I would have certainly in there would be Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Ryan Day, and Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I agree with you. And as you look at that list, though, Dabo Sweeney's won two national championships as an active head coach. So you almost have to keep him in there. With Dabo, it's interesting because he's transformed Clemson into that. You don't want to say dynasty, but they've been on a very good run for the last decade. But the last two years, they've fallen off a cliff. So I'm in that wait and see mode with Dabo Sweeney. I've still got him in the top five because he's won two national championships and he won the ACC this year. But I want to see what he does this year. Now get now switching to coordinators. He lost Venables this year, brought in Garrett Riley on offense heading into next season. So I'm curious of what Dabo Sweeney is going to be like at Clemson. Has he really regressed and lost his touch because he didn't adapt to the transfer portal and the NIL and all this other kind of stuff that he was hesitant to jump into because it was the Clemson family and this is the way that it's supposed to be. We want our guys where everything's in-house. Obviously, a little different now the way college football has radically transformed over the last two summers. But I still have Dabo in there. And I think you still have to give the 
uh, nod to Brian Kelly to keep him in the top six as well. With what he was able to do at Notre Dame, you can argue those he has some hardships in recruiting there with a private school and academic standards. Okay, but Notre Dame as an FBS independent, I think he took them to their ceiling. They could obviously elevate it, but for him in that role, that was their ceiling. He now jumps ship. He's at LSU. They beat Alabama, which, again, I don't know if he's going to back that up this year, but LSU is certainly a team that can make the college football playoff next season with what they bring back. So, I again, Brian Kelly, I think, would round out my top six there. Very fair. I expect a big year from Clemson this year. I think the DJU thing was a disaster from the start. I think it was almost like a sunk cost at the point where where Dabo just was like, okay, like he's our guy this year. You know, we'll stick with it, and then he's gone, and we'll deal with it later. Was basically how I thought they approached that this year. I just think it wasn't a good fit for either side. I expect them to be much better with Kate Klubnick, and I agree with you about Brian Kelly. I do think he took Notre Dame to their ceiling. Um, and, and did a good job at LSU in his first season last year. Obviously had a couple of uh, very funny games in there, and uh, we remember the Florida State game on opening weekend, of course. Oh, yeah. um, so it'll be interesting to see how he backs that up this season. But, you know, I, I can't argue with with that Brian Kelly pick especially. I think uh, I think he is definitely, you know, one of those top six or seven coaches. The Dabo thing, not so sure about those two national championships. Jimbo Fisher won one too, don't forget. Absolutely right. That's a fair point. And two – with the point of LSU that you made with that wonky game against Florida state, they open the season again with each other this year. Both teams are rumored around that top five, six, seven, eight to start the year next year. Both teams are expected to have really good seasons. Who's more likely to have that season where they could contend for a college football playoff spot in your opinion, just offhand Florida state or LSU. I think it's Florida state because LSU is in a very difficult conference in which to make the playoffs. You know, they're, at best, probably the third best team right now. You think about Tennessee, maybe signing them down to fourth. And um, so I think Florida State, just by default, you know, they only really have one challenger to deal with, and that's Clemson. Um, you know, I don't expect much from Miami. I don't really expect much from North Carolina. And everyone else in the conference is just kind of, you know, there. Uh, so I, I think by default, it's got to be Florida State. And I think that game is one where – you know, you look back at it at the end of the year and, and the team that wins that game is, is in the playoff conversation and the team that loses that game is like seven and five. Oh, yeah, F- absolutely true. And in Florida State's case, man, you're right. They only have one challenger. Sam Hartman was at Wake Forest. They've done great things the last two years. He's now transferred to Notre Dame, so that removes them from the picture as well. Miami is extremely underwhelming, like you said, with Mario Cristobal. Maybe he writes the ship heading into next season, but again, I don't think it's enough to contend for the ACC LSU, they could be the second, third, or fourth best team in their own division, let alone conference. But I think the SEC will have that strong four in Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Tennessee. So their road is much tougher, like you said. So I agree. Florida State, though, Mike Norvell, what's he going to do? Is he going to be able to back it up? That's the expectation. Is the 9-10 win season the outlier, or is that going to be the new standard for the Seminoles who've been hungry to get back since really Jameis Winston left? Well, I think he'll be, you know, right around there this year. I don't expect them to win the national championship, but I do think they'll be pretty competitive in the ACC. And I could see them sneaking into the playoff if they can, you know, find a way to outlast Clemson. So that'll be a fun storyline to watch as well. For sure. And if Florida State somehow beats LSU again to open the season, Jordan Travis can find himself right in the thick of the Heisman conversation as well. That's something to remember how dynamic of a quarterback that he is. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, I think – the ACC, we've, we've talked about a lot about the Pac-12 quarterbacks. The ACC quarterback's really interesting. Kate Klubnik, obviously, uh, now the man at Clemson. Jordan Travis coming back. 
Sam Hartman out, um, and, and obviously a lot more uh, Drake May coming back, of course. So a lot to watch in the ACC regarding quarterbacks as well. I know we've talked a lot about the Pac-12, but don't sleep on the ACC gunslingers. For sure. And just a quick closing thought here. I was thinking a lot about it today with the Pac-12 and how deep that conference is going to be and with all the great quarterback play we're going to see next year. I want to run a hot take right now, and I do reserve the right to change this as the season gets closer and we hear more about these teams. But I don't think a Pac-12 team is going to make the college football playoff next year. I think the conference is going to be extremely good, very competitive, great quarterback play. I don't think a team gets in the four. I see that. You know, if they beat up on each other enough, it seems like there's that one conference every year that does that. Um, and we saw it this year with the Pac-12, you know. Mm-hmm. They, they, beat up, they all beat up on each other and nobody gets in. Same with the ACC this year. Nobody got in. Um, I think certainly in the ACC's case last year, there just wasn't a deserving team. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's reasonable. And it, it seems like that does happen once every year. There's a conference that beats itself up out of a spot. So it'll be interesting to see which one it is this year until we get to that 12-team playoff, in which case everybody will get at least one. Especially with the fact that the Big Ten and SEC will both have three most likely worthy college football playoff teams as well. That's yep. another wrinkle to think about. If you're not undefeated in the Big 12, the Pac-12, or the ACC, it's going to be tough sliding to get in with how good the top end of the Big Ten and SEC both will be next season. Well, we saw it this year with TCU. They had one loss in their conference championship game in overtime, and they barely got in. You know, Ohio State, there was a rumor, of course, Ohio State would get the three spot. You know, TCU might drop to the four. They ended up staying at three. But I think it was tighter than people thought between TC, Ohio State, and Alabama. And obviously, the, I think the two deserving teams made it in. But at the same time, I don't think the margin for error was very much. And, and you know, if TCU drops one of those regular season games, they're certainly not in over a two-loss Alabama. So it'll be, definitely be interesting this year. Absolutely. And Dave, this has been a pretty good show, man. Off-season contact continues to roll around. Uh, we're about five weeks away now from spring ball. And then we'll break down some of the NFL draft prospects. I'm not buying these rumors that Jackson Smith and Jigba's wide receiver three in this draft, but we'll talk more about that in later shows. Any closing thoughts for you today? No, looking forward to it. Spring ball right around the corner. It's snowing here in Cincinnati, Ohio today. So uh, roads are kind of nasty and definitely looking forward to uh, spring ball, which means that, you know, football's right around the corner. Absolutely, guys, and continue to stay with us. Thank you for listening. Uh, please rate and review the show anywhere you get this podcast that you're listening to it. We appreciate you. And we'll see you next week on the Saturday Cadence Podcast.